This podcast is a part of the Carbon Almanac Network of Podcasts. Hi, I'm Christina. I'm from Prague. Hi, I'm Jen, and I'm from Canada. Hi, I'm Olabanji, and I'm from Nigeria. Hello, I'm Liki, and I live in Paris. Hi, I'm Brian, and I'm from New York. Welcome to Carbon Sessions, a podcast with carbon conversations for every day with everyone from everywhere in the world. In our conversations, we share ideas, perspectives, questions, and things we can actually do to make a difference. So don't be shy and join our Carbon Sessions because it's not too late. Hi, I'm Christina. Hi, I'm Jen. Hi, I'm Tanya. Hi, I'm Lick. Today, I would like to discuss a very interesting topic. And this is something that is very dear to my mind because I'm a very, very big fan of Leonardo DiCaprio. Even since he was on the Titanic, I mean, I was young, but yeah. You know, so I've been a very, very big fan of his ever since. In the past few years, he is very well known for being a very active climate activist. He has a couple of NGOs, I think, and he raises a lot of money and he does films and documentary on climate change and environmental issues in general. But he has been called out as a hypocrite sometimes because he sometimes flies on private jets. And I think it's, I don't know, is he a hypocrite? I don't know. I don't know what to think about it. And so that's why today we're going to talk about private jet, flying private jet. I've been a fan of his since he was in What's Eating Gilbert Grape when he was a teenager, which is an amazing show. And then I just watched Killers of the Flower Moon uh, two nights ago. What a show. Fan as well. And yeah, I wonder about that. You know, sometimes I wonder if it's safety, if it's efficiency, if it's anonymity, if it's just easier than getting stopped 5,000 times by adoring fans. I wonder if there are balances in the lives of some of these people who are climate conscious to offset. Um, so I have lots of wonderings. No answers, lots of wondering. Yeah. So I, I think about this too, Mickey. I think it's a really nuanced conversation because their safety is maybe in play. And does it even make sense for them to fly commercial? Uh, you know, we see people on flights bullying flight attendants. They're the people that are supposed to be on the plane. Imagine if a celebrity was on your plane whose, whose political standings you didn't agree with or something. Not necessarily us that we would believe. But just, you know, you could see that somebody, that may be a fear in their mind. I don't know. Why do we care that some celebrities fly on private jet? Why do we even care about that? Because there's even, I think it's a student or something who has, a, who has a website or a Twitter thread where he tracks the celebrities' private jets' journeys. So, so why do people care so much about celebrities flying on private jets? I think that they're just, they're in the public eye. You know, they've got a massive following. They've got fans, they've got platforms, social media platforms. So they're just very visible. So we kind of look to them, especially when they're some of the top polluters in the world, just with their private jets. So I think, yet yeah, there's a lot of pressure because of that. 
And and people care what they eat for breakfast, so. That's true. <laughs> I think also it's the climate change is such a large issue. And picking up one simple thing that is trackable and that can be shown very easily through numbers, how much pollution, what will happen if we stop that, that for people that's kind of an, in a way, crutch, just like, okay, at least I can do something with this big issue and uh, might be misguided, but uh, might be there, okay, at least something, at least give out the information. So I think it's also a little bit of the panic. What can I do? How can I change this? But also I think that celebrities have such a big, immense power of influence on people's decision and action that somehow it's their duty to be, you know, to behave and be be the right guy and play the right role. And so I guess that we expect celebrities to be perfect in every single way, right? But it's hard. So this way they're not perfect. <laughs> that way it's like, oh, they're humans. They do something that it's not okay. And some of them are vegetarian. Vegetarian or vegan and have made other choices. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, a lot of them will buy carbon offsets. I know that Taylor Swift does. Yeah. She buys double the carbon offsets. But that's also a very complicated topic, you know, on if they actually are helping the earth. You know, there's, there's different levels of quality in carbon offsets. I read that she could have bought a single carbon offset for $1.50. And so that's likely very low quality carbon offset. So it would kind of be on her to look at the projects they're doing and find high quality projects to support. Did you explain that with one tweet, she managed to get 50 million people registered to vote? Yes. I think it was during a recent election, presidential election in the US, and she sent out one. Instagram post simply asking people to register to vote. And she got 50 million young people registered, which is huge because there's a big worry about them not registering to vote, the younger generation. Maybe also there's uh, looking at other artists, how they deal with the issues of their travels and concerts. And we don't talk much about people who are trying to manage all everything that comes with the concert and travel and people buying tickets and people's behavior during the concert and after concert. So, like, I think YouTube does makes an effort. I think there was Coldplay uh, in the tour. I think it was last year or two years ago in the tour. They have, like, a whole website for to, you know, to mitigate the impact of, of the carbon footprint of the concert. And they have some very funky things like, you know, um, I think there was a dance floor and on the dance floor, the energy produced by people dancing on the dance floor is, goes back to the, you know, to the light. And it's, I mean, it's not a lot of energy, I assume, because it's, uh, I think there's a lot of losses along the way. And, um, and I think that this kind of concert requires a lot of energy, a lot of lights, but, you know, it's a good sign. And I think they, they try to do a lot of things like, you know, 
work with uh, sustainable or certified uh, uh, suppliers wherever they go. And they have, um, I think they also try to have minimal thing that they, they have to move from one side to another. And I assume that they don't fly private jet. I assume that they fly the commercial flights. I'm not sure about that. Um, there are some artists that are doing things in the right direction as well. There's a whole movement called the no-fly movement also, where people, artists of all kinds and regular people, are taking alternative methods of getting from place to place. It's a lot slower. <laughs> <laughs> but I know, you know, Greta Thunberg hasn't flown since about 2015. Hmm. I mean, she's a climate activist, but there are others that have joined that group. Yeah, I think actually Seth has really tried to limit his flying, his air travel. But yeah, I think with celebrities, well, with Coldplay, Mickey, you're talking about Coldplay. I think it's, there's just a lot of shame around what, you know, the carbon emissions that we all produce and what we can do. And so I think it's just good that Coldplay is showing that they, that they care, they understand that this is an issue and they're trying. Um, I think, you know, that, that's great. <laughs> That's all I'm yeah. asking. And there's also alternative ways of producing a concert. I don't know if I mentioned, but last year I went to an ABBA concert and, uh, and they were not performing on stage. They were kind of holograms. They don't call it holograms because um, they call it uh, avatar instead of avatar. They call it. And so they say it's not holograms, but to me it's holograms. But it, it was really, really wonderful because it's like they're really performing. So just think of this, this kind of concert in various parts of the world. And it, when it becomes mainstream, you only need to move the big infrastructure from one side to another. You know, you just move the digital part of it. It's, um, I think this is the future. Could be the future. Yeah, it's hard sometimes. I mean, it's hard to get from one place to the next without getting on an airplane. Unless you have many weeks to take the time to get there. Did you read this article? It was on the New York Times last year. I think end of last year or sometime um, in, no, um, sometime in September, I think last year. About um, researcher, a climate researcher who is working in Germany. He's, um, he's, uh, he's a researcher for a university in Germany and he's doing some research and has to do some field work in Papua New Guinea. So it's really, really far uh, somewhere in between uh, Indonesia and, and Australia. And because he's a climate researcher, so he tried not to fly because obviously it's very difficult for him to fly. It's not good for climate change to fly. So on the leg from Germany to Papua New Guinea, he decided not to fly as much as possible. So he took cars and trains. And I think at the very end, he had to fly twice. And the whole journey took him 35 days. So he did everything he could not to fly. And so it took him 35 days. So he did his field work, his research. And then on his way back, he wanted to do the same. But his university said, oh, you have to be at work by I can't remember exactly, like in a week or something like that. But because he doesn't want to fly, so there's no way he could reconcile, you know, what he really believed in with his work. And so the university fired him. And he said, no, I won't fly because it's, um, 
I will be a hypocrite if I keep on flying. And the university, it's, it's completely insane because there's nothing I cannot do during my journey back to Germany uh, on the boat or whatever. I still can do my research. It's not a good reason for firing me. So I don't know what you think about it because this actually, this article was sent to me by one of my colleagues for work. We do need to fly sometimes. And this a specific colleague needs to fly a lot. So he asked me, what do you think about it? So my question to you is, what do you think about it? That's a very tricky one. One of the arguments I've heard is that the plane is going there anyway, and it shouldn't go empty. It should go as full as possible. I mean, that's an argument I've heard. I don't know if that's an excuse. If people weren't booking the flights, would they cancel the flights? That'd be great. <laughs> or what's their threshold? It goes by weight as well. So is that true that the more people sitting on a plane, the more efficient it is? Or is it not true? I don't know the mechanics of it. I think also would be questioned when he took all these cars and trains, whatever he was doing, unless he was biking. <laughs> what is the print altogether in those 35 days? Mm -hmm compared to the one flight. I thought that would be interesting comparison. I, my guess is that it will be lower than fly. Yeah, I don't know. Because it's so many days. I think somebody was looking into that. Not only the footprint of much longer journey, but also looking at the keeping the old car versus buying new car. What's the footprint in that? Is it going to balance? It's not a simple question to answer. A couple of weeks ago, I attended a, a three-day conference. It was all day Friday, all day Saturday, and half of Sunday. And it was a conference that used to be in person. And it used to be one where people flew from all over the country, well, all over countries, to join because there were people from Australia and from India and from U.S. and Canada. Um, it's an international storytelling conference. And since COVID, they've done everything virtually and you don't have to go anywhere. And there were probably at least 100 people on this platform. And it was, you know, a lot of time and a lot of effort saved and a lot of carbon <laughs> by everybody coming onto this platform and doing the conference virtually. And I wonder how many organizations have found that they get more people able to join when they don't have to put out all the time and the effort and the money to travel. Something I was thinking about. Yeah, I think that they need to rethink their business model, how they work. And actually, yes, uh, maybe they could get two different kind of participations or two different conferences. Yeah, because in some in some instances or so, in some ways, I'm I'm very much like an in real real life type of person. I'd much rather be face to face with people, you know, snail mail versus yeah. email. Yeah, you know, I prefer snail mail. Yeah, there's the question of like quality of life too, um, with everything becoming virtual. I just think it's so complicated, uh, and it's so emotional. I think there's just this tendency to want to game or like try to reduce it to numbers and like well if you've done this and, but you haven't done this I, I don't know I think it's such a systems problem that it's it's hard for the individual 
to really impact much. Yeah, I absolutely agree with you because um, the world or people expect us to be perfect in every single way in everything we do. And as you said, it's not very fair to judge people based on one single action or something they do because the system is not designed for, you know, um, earlier Christina was talking about what about if we have a flight that emit less carbon, but the system doesn't want that. For the moment, um, I was just listening to the financial result of one, the big competitor of Boeing, which is European, it's called EADS. Um, and so they have sold a lot of planes, but those old planes, they are not into new planes because, you know, it costs them a lot of money and they don't want to invest in new planes. So sometimes we do have to fly. I mean... Yeah, my family is scattered all around and I have to fly for work because if I don't do that, I will limit my chances, my ability, my network. And also, it's like, you know, I'm not doing a, a service to me and I'm not doing a service for the work I'm doing because I will be limited my circle of influence, you know, my, my network, you know, the people I meet, I talk to. And so, yes, it's not great, but sometimes you have no choice, I think. Yeah, I think it comes to looking at are we doing the extremes, no flying or flying whenever I feel like, and maybe coming in the middle and go, okay, how can I plan my year or my connection? Are there any ways not flying and doing meeting on the internet, or is it really important for me to fly and meet people in person? Instead of going, okay, I'm not flying. That's it. <laughs> or it's too complicated. I don't want to think about it. I'll fly what I need to and forget me planning ahead or something. So I think coming in this kind of middle, I say like shopping. When people want to save money shopping, they wait for some sales or for a certain time of the year when they buy big items. I think we can do the same thing with flying, kind of manage it. It takes a little bit longer, a little bit focus, but uh, at least we can move towards something. That's a really great point and a great distinction. I think just to bring it back to the celebrities, their air travel, I was reading that one person took a jet 37 minutes, which emitted like three tons of CO2, which is an insane amount, like the amount that one person may emit in a year. Supposed to, um, to, supposed to emit in a year. Yeah. But I mean, I think that kind of thing, it's like, what? Why are you doing that? I think you're right. Kind of planning your year so that limited as much as possible, limit trips like that. I know everybody's busy and it's, it's difficult and hard to coordinate everything. Gosh. Guys, I moved 13 times last year between four countries in Europe. <laughs> and we did it all by train. Yeah. But it was, I mean, it was horrible. Yeah. It was it was process of us becoming Italian residents. But I, I feel much better about that, especially because now trains are something that we can do all the time. And we've gotten rid of our two cars and we've gotten rid of like, you know, a lot of stuff. Um, so yeah, just kind of weighing, um, 
and, and being thoughtful and considerate about all this stuff. And also, I just want to note that the trains in Europe are electric trains. They're not using fossil fuels. Are they all? I think most of them. I know at least in Czech, all the train tracks have wires above. So I'm assuming everybody is running on electricity. So maybe not. I don't know if they're all, but I know there's a lot of them. Yeah. I mean, the, the train system is quite efficient in Europe, but it's still faster and cheaper sometimes to fly. That's the truth. So maybe in these areas where we don't have to take ships or sailboats, uh, <laughs> maybe uh, moving towards making the trains accessible and making it so they're building tracks where you don't need to use fossil fuels, where it's all electric. I feel like infrastructure is there already, and it's not that much harder to put few holes up. I think that that would be nice. <laughs> yeah, that would be nice, but I don't think it's that easy, really. Last summer, I bought a book. Um, oh, I don't have it here, but it's, um, it's a Lonely Planet special edition for slow travel in Europe. And so we looked at it and we decided to go to Latvia. And so according to the book, the public transportation system is very, very efficient. And so I wanted to go there by boat and then train, but it was too difficult. So I had to take a plane. But I decided that once we're there, we're going to be car free. And um, I talked to some, to some people there uh, that I know that I work with. And I say, I told them about my plan of not driving, just relying on public transportation to go around the country. And all of them told me that, huh, you have very interesting ideas, but think of Latvia, who's been part of USSR, underinvested in infrastructure. Think of all that, you know, think of, don't make your life too hard. Uh, it just, it's not that easy, even though Latvia has been part of the EU for some time now. But it's not that easy to put rails or to build railroads and all that. It just, it doesn't happen overnight. It takes time. So, gosh, yeah. And in the US, I mean, everything's so spread out. Yeah. There's no like real urban centers. And I think that, you know, there's this immediacy of being able to drive your car. You can go, you know, you forgot something from the gross at the grocery. You can go pick it up in 10 minutes in your car. That's something like a growing pain that we're feeling is that sometimes when you don't have something here, it takes a lot of effort to go out and get it. Um, it's not immediate. It's not convenient. So it's, it, it does just take a lot more planning. But yeah, like New York City has a great subway system. Chicago's is okay. I lived in Chicago for a long time. So, I mean, their subway system's not, not the greatest. But um, at least, you know, it's there. There were times when... Uh... Stores were closed on Sundays, and I wonder that having access to everything for us is unusual to wait for something or plan ahead. Yeah, the, the rule about that ended here in 1986. It was called the Lord's Day Act, and it was abolished in 1986, but people were ignoring it anyway long before that. But that was when it wasn't allowed to be open on a Sunday. So interesting. 
and now it's just a regular day of the week almost. I think banks still sometimes aren't open, but there are very few things that are not open on a Sunday anymore. But going back to our flying or not flying, one thing I never do is that I don't tell people around me that they are not doing the right thing. I don't want to make them feel ashamed of not doing the right thing because sometimes it's not their fault because we're not in their shoes. And so we don't know the circumstances. Yeah. I mean, you don't want to discourage people. It's like, we're all kind of just doing our best. I mean, some people aren't, and they're just completely okay in their ignorance. Um, ignorance is bliss. Yeah. But, I mean, when people are making an effort or they are aware of climate issues, you don't want to discourage that. Yeah. And I sometimes wonder, too, if there are ways that big organizations that send their employees all over the place can rethink that a little bit. Are there ways that you don't have to fly so much for business? Are there different systems that could come into place that would allow for people to travel less, even a little bit less would make a difference, right? I mean, yes. Uh, I think with COVID, the lockdowns, it has helped a little bit because now we used to Riffing twice, a little bit more, not twice, a little bit more uh, before we take a plane no, yeah. for work at this. I agree with the missing people. I mean, being yeah. a person is, is, it really is different, but yeah, at what cost? Especially with all our families spread out everywhere now. You know, it used to be that everybody stayed in one, one town country. and yeah. you had your yeah, grandma on your sisters and everything right there with you but now you know my sister's in new york my nana's in tennessee uh josh's is in colorado my husband it's just it's kind of like hard to know you know how to see people and to make it happen that's also a change with globalization so what should we invite them to do i think i'm gonna try to plan even more ahead and adjust and Maybe communicate more to ask people what their longer plan is and connect with them in a ways. For instance, I have to travel to Europe from U.S. And so I set it up that I can see my family on the way there instead of flying straight there and then back and back and forth. So maybe think in bigger time chunks. <laughs> what about you guys think? Yeah, I continue to think about, do I have to go there in person or can I do the virtual option if it's a conference or something that, while it would be nice to be there in person, do I need to be there in person? Sometimes the answer might be yes, but lots of times it's probably not imperative that I'm physically there. I kind of think the same way for work, because sometimes it's not absolute necessity to be somewhere for work. And for my personal travel, for leisure, holidays, or seeing family, I am willing, and actually I'm doing it, exploring alternative ways of traveling, which doesn't uh, require flying. And it's very fun. And uh, yeah, it just, it, it requires a lot of planning, really. I'm already planning my, my summer holiday because I'm planning not to fly and do everything by train and boat, but the capacity, the capacity of this 
kind of means of transportation is very, very limited. So you really have to plan in advance. Yeah. So we moved to a location where we could walk everywhere. I very infrequently take the train. Um, there's a tram system that runs here in Milan, but we just do a lot of walking. And I mean, I know that that's not possible for everybody, but I think planning ahead and, and making sure that, you know, when you're at the grocery, you're thinking long-term so that you don't have to order those groceries in a couple of days or run back out. Where we're moving to, we're going to be close to a train. It's called the West Coast Express. It only goes into town once a day and comes back out the other way once a day. It's not the sky train or the subway like the, that we have in the city, but it's there. And I think if you get on it at the right time, it can take you to the sky train or the electric train system. But it will be a lot closer because where I live now, you have to have a car. There's not an easy way to get anywhere. So we're moving closer into where there will be some options. And one of the hopes is that when one of our cars dies, our hope is that we can get an electric bike for errands and things like that, because it's a smaller town and it'll be, I think it'll be easier to get around and find what we need without having to get into a car every single time. That's interesting what you said, because I just realized when I talk to people, a lot of them, when they are moving, before it was job, close to the family, uh, community. But now people are starting to talk about exactly what you said, about the travel, about ability to walk to grocery store and to be in places where they don't have to leave all the time to live well. I cannot even imagine living in places like that because I've always lived in big cities. So I cannot imagine a life where I have to take a car for whatever I need to do. And like when you say that there's a train that goes once a day to the city center. And did you see my face when you say that? If you can get to the SkyTrain, um, then you can go all over the place every few minutes. It's a normal subway system. Well, it's elevated rapid transit. So it's on a platform above and then sometimes it goes underground but most of the time it's above and you can get to the airport you can get all over the place but the other one is an actual train like a, a train track an actual real train that goes uh, downtown and it's quite good because it goes from quite far away from Vancouver and takes people all the way into the city and it only stops about four times or five but times. once a day so you, you really need to plan your day very, very well. <laughs> well, it's for, for people who are working downtown, mm. who like commuting to work kind of thing. Mm. Yeah. I know it's kind of old. It's not as fancy as Europe, but. <laughs> oh, didn't say that. <laughs> <laughs> no. No. Uh, I often envy the transit systems there and how everybody can just walk places. In big cities, because if you go to like yeah. small villages in in lots of parts of Europe it's the same they don't even have trains or public transportation so right right yeah. I just realized that uh, when you guys talking about transportation in Europe it takes about 10 minutes five minutes to go to a grocery store and if I I'm in Montana right now and if I have to go get groceries I would have to walk four hours and 10 minutes to get <laughs> grocery <laughs> which would be about 
an hour on a bicycle. <laughs> I realized, yeah, it, it's uh, the worlds are different, different experiences, different needs. Yeah, but in Europe, you live in the city, right? Yeah, 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 so, yeah. Uh, I think it's a matter of the size of. Um, I mean, it's it's a whether it's a density. Is it a city or not in a city? Obviously, in Montana, you don't live in the city. Yeah. So it's a different lifestyle. Yeah, we started with planes. <laughs> we started with private jets, and then we talk about planes, and now we're talking about commuting, like daily commute, walking for hours. <laughs> <laughs> On the other side, yeah, but it's good to talk about those things sometimes. Yeah. Thank you for this conversation. Yes, thank you, guys. Thanks, everyone. And thanks for coming to join us, Tanya. Yes. Oh, my gosh. Thank you guys so much. Bye. Bye, guys. You've been listening to Carbon Sessions, a podcast with carbon conversations for every day with everyone from everywhere in the world. We'd love you to join the Carbon Sessions so you, too, can share your perspectives from wherever you are. This is a great way for our community to learn from your ideas and experiences, connect, and take action. If you want to add your voice to the conversation, go to thecarbonalmanac.org slash podcasts and sign up to be part of a future episode. This podcast is also part of the Carbon Almanac Network. For more information, to sign up for the emails, to join the movement, and to order your copy of the Carbon Almanac, go to thecarbonalmanac.org. Be sure to subscribe and join us here again as together we can change the world.